Welcome back to Perla Meets the World. Um, I am Perla. If you're new in my podcast, welcome. I hope you enjoy. This is a podcast about uh, beautiful anonymous, really. It's just people with different stories, lifestyles, and who somehow in- inspired me uh, to think out of the box. Um, and this time, this week... I talk about drug abuse, I talk about crazy, who's crazy, uh, is it born, uh, is, like, is society making us crazy, we, do we develop it, and how to raise children with mental health issues, how to deal with uh, difficult situations where you feel powerful, like not powerful, obviously not powerful, that was not the word, powerless and way more like in-depth topics like we also talk about not sure if I cut that bit because he specifically asked me to remove some parts of the podcast but we mentioned uh, suicide as well so mind you if you're struggling with uh, something around that please be aware when listening to the podcast and by all means stop pause it and you know like um come back any other time if it's too much for you um so yeah this this is uh one of the travelers from the hostel he used to be a long-term guest he left uh, a couple of months ago and he came back so we we went for a catch-up we talked about you know what our experiences during this like we break in between our lives and I decided to do a podcast with him. So I hope you guys enjoy. As always, please subscribe, share, comment, like it. Uh, send me your suggestions, questions that maybe you want me to go through or talk about in a solo podcast. All, you know, your feedback is welcome. And um, yeah, see you next time. Welcome to Perla Meets the World, a podcast where they travel worlds. <laughs> Jesus. Is this recording? So I have a question for you. What have been the like hardest moments or lessons for your kids growing up? Taken that you mentioned that Molly, it was like Molly's father who committed suicide. It's not. It's one the of, first time that I hear this case. One, one of the uh, hardest things, and now uh, it's see, I, it's hard not to tell stories without people making judgments and and. So I don't want anyone to make judgments, but one of the hardest things that came to me was uh, Jen was having some problems and she sort of disappeared. Well, mm-hmm. um, like it's not like uh, it's. Don't worry, haters are gonna hate anyway, but no one's yeah. gonna judge. Whatever. So anyway, and and Maddie is Maddie was really smart and she's a super sleuth and she she was looking around through all the papers and this and that because Maddie and. Molly stayed with me when Jen had this. We'll call it an episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, Maddie and Molly are both Jen's daughters. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Same yeah. mother. And so. Is it same do- same dad as well? Both of yeah. them. Okay. Max was had a different dad. Okay. 
um, and she found her father's death certificate, right? Oh. And then, and she, and like, Maddie is super good at, you know what fishing is? Yes. Right, she'd pretend she'd know something, right? And you'd say, oh, how did you know that? Or how, and then she'd find out all the information just by, because she, you know, you think she knows something and she didn't, she was just pretending. Yeah. And, she, and so anyway, Maddie worked out something was going on with her father. So I rang, I, I, I texted Jen, which was very difficult at that stage. And I said, look, you know, it's, and of course the girl, the girls had gone to see some psychologists because of Jen's episode and stuff. And I was, it was a difficult time for me. I was trying to juggle everything. And so I talked to the psychologist because the girls didn't know their father had committed suicide at that stage. And, mm. I, and, and, and the last thing I wanted to do was tell the girls their father had committed suicide. But Mads was onto it like a dog with a bone. And the psychologist said, well, you know, you should tell them the truth. And so I, I didn't want to do it. And maybe I palmed it off to Jen, but, well, you know, I thought it was Jen's place to tell them. But so I texted her and, you know, said, you know, look, you, uh, this has come up. And, and, of course, but Jen's headspace at the moment was that I had it all planned or something or other. So, and so it came down to me and I had to tell the girl, girls that their, their father had, had had killed himself and that was that was something I, I, a I didn't want to do b I didn't think it would be particularly good for them and c I really didn't see a sort of any way out so that was that was like you know damned if you do damned if you don't um, it's, it's sometimes hard you know you sometimes you've got to take a decision and you think well taking the hard decisions the right decision and and you know telling them was was the hard thing to do, or you know, or lying to them. Um, but honestly, up, lying to kids is okay. Up until a certain age, it's better they don't know things. Something you think? Mm. I, I I know this. Like I, I'm definitely telling me their parent, uh, their father killed himself. Killed himself wouldn't. What were their reaction? <clears throat> Strangely enough, Molly. Molly was very down on her mother at that stage. How old was she? she Molly was 14. Okay. And f- f- to Molly, it vindicated everything she thought about her mum. And so Molly, perversely, was sort of happy about it. And, and Mads was... Mads was very hard to read. But, um, yeah, no, you, you... Like, it's Santa Claus. You lie to kids about Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, when kids are young, they need a, a safe happy world to live in they don't need to know a whole lot of crap that's going on uh and 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 the longer you can delay that the better was it hard for you to gain your kids trust or you were there like long enough when they were like young enough to accept you as their you know that well figure? I, brought, i brought molly and maddie up since i was about four or five and Uh, Jen, like I want, you know, with Sabina, like mm. uh, every night, uh, she, you know how you, some people read a book to their kids or whatever. 
Well, Sabina, every night she wanted me to tell her a story, and every night it had to be a different story. So, well, wow. Like, so that's where I came. That's like, I felt like, you know who Scheherazade is? Uh, yes, that, yeah, the thousand and one. Yeah, yes, so I felt I like Scheherazade. Every night I had to come up with a new with story. A new story. Oh, so God. I came up with, came that's up bullying. With, <laughs> <laughs> I came up with a couple of good ones. I can even tell you one one time, not now. But um, so, and you know, I, so when Molly and Maddie came down, I wanted to tell them stories, etc., etc., and sort of try. But Jen, I think Jen always had. Now, don't this is again? Don't judge people, but I think she, it's, Jen had another agenda. She didn't want. She didn't really want me to get close to Molly and Maddie because I think Jen Jen had gone through a lot of partners, and she was worried, and she she might have had a. Plan, mm. yeah, that's the word for a plan that she wasn't going to perhaps stay with me that long, or she she didn't believe she'd stay with me that long because she'd had lots of partners and like um, and uh, so she she didn't want the girls really to form a close attachment with me and um, because so it was always difficult. Um, Mads, Molly, Molly, like I said rejected rejected her mum and, and Mads was always sort of on her mum's side but she knew her mum was was troubled um, after about oh well that's that's a long story I won't go into that but so Molly Molly when she was about 15 or 16 and this was this is the first time I re realized Molly was deeply disturbed she wrote me this letter and um, uh, and it just said you know you're, you're the most wonderful person ever, you know, yada yada, and just sung my praises, etc., etc. And um, and there's some people. It's called splitting that. They they paint people good, white or black. Mm -hmm. And I realised that Molly had painted me white here, and I tried to explain to her, you know, Molly, I'm not this person, you know, I'm not some saint, or whatever. I'm I'm doing the best I can. I, I make some bad calls and. And, and you know, I just fumble through like most people do. And, and like, you know, at that stage I was fumbling through. I've got lots of kids to look after. I'm working by myself. Jen is a mess in and out of hospital and, and lots of bad things are happening with Jen and, and work's difficult and I'm just try, I, trying to just keep everything together. Mm -hmm. And yet, yeah, but you know, and they and I knew there'd come a stage like, like I can remember Molly and Maddie had a, a drug deal between them at one stage. They bought some marijuana, right? And that and and Molly was really dirty on Maddie because she thought Maddie had stiffed her with the, the deal, and so she came to me and expected me to sort it out. And I said, "I'm a parent. I do not sort out drug deals, right?" <laughs> That's you and Maddie. You and Matt, that's you and Maddie's business. You sort of and like they, I, I had to basically take the half house in half. So she'd stay on one half and I'd stay on the other. But you know, as soon as something like that happens, you you're no longer the. It's only if you if you're doing the right thing by them, and being a parent, you know, you like I said, you you don't take sides, and there's certain things you don't get involved in, and kids have to make their own mistakes. And there's like heaps of mistakes out there for them to make, and um, but you know if if you start going in and, and saying 
well, you know, what happened here, what happened there, and doing that stuff. You, you just, it's, there's no end to it. And like I said, it's their business to sort out. You know, you, you try and make them safe. You try and give them a good home. Mm-hmm. You try and, try and make them feel loved. But you don't sort out drug deals for them and you don't, you don't tell them who their boyfriends are. I mean, you can have an opinion on who their boyfriends are and there's certain circumstances where you, where you um, try and arrange things so that... that like, there, there is a certain level at any age. Like, there's a certain level you've got to step in, right, you know, and say, OK, this is wrong, this is going bad, I have to do something here. And for every, each person, it's a, a different place. But, you know, you give them an, enough rope so that, but not enough to hang themselves, so okay. to speak. So you, you've got to let them make their mistakes and whatever, but you've got to be ready to step in if things are going to go really pear-shaped. And, 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 you know, then you might have to put on the hobnail boots and, and ground them or, or, or not let them read a book for a month. <laughs> True. But would you blame yourself if you have to come to that, you know, conclusion, like, you know, to, you know, step in? If you have to step in, would you say that you failed because you trusted them to do the right thing and they didn't? Or would you say, well, I expected well, the me trick to is, do this? The trick is knowing when to step in. Like okay. nowadays, you know, most kids, their parents don't have very little idea what's going on. And um, so, you know, anything can be happening. And the parents, a lot of the time, are ignorant to, to some of... Uh, you know, some really terrible things that are happening and it comes as a complete shock to them or whatever. So, um, and like, you know, if you're really strict and keep tabs on them and stuff like that, you can stop that happening. But then it also stops the kids sort of developing and when they actually, at 18 or 19, when they do go out into the real world, Mm -hmm. then then all the trouble hits them. They've got, you know, and, and they're... They're going to be even more, you know, it's best they, they get a the little bit of preparation along the way and rather than like an 18-year-old goes out into Fortitude Valley on and then gets drunk and, you know, ends up naked in a lift and Yeah, like and an overdose of life yeah, 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 within the first year of like adulthood. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And like again, when Maddie was sixteen or seventeen, anyone you could get into any nightclub in the Fortitude Valley. Everyone had fake IDs. Jesse was selling fake IDs, but now it's all the photo ID with face recognition. Where's Fortitude Valley, by the way? Our uh, Fortitude Valley is the the club area in in Brisbane. Oh, where, okay. Where all the the dance clubs and the strip clubs and etc. etc. are. Oh. Would you say that any, if you're comfortable sharing this, would you say that any of your kids have any mental health condition, like personality-wise, that you cannot change? Everyone's crazy. Okay. Everyone's Elaborate. crazy. Elaborate. <laughs> well, because yesterday okay, you mentioned yeah. something about crazy and I, and I did like it. Okay. How you see crazy. Well, okay. Now, crazy, this is a good topic. Everyone's... Okay. everyone's look at you. You look so comfortable now. Okay, let's just... Yeah. <laughs> Every, everyone's a bit crazy um, okay. and uh, like circumstances will arise you probably remember when was the last time you went crazy over something right mm-hmm. and you'll say oh, okay yeah that's that happened and this happened and 
any condition or any anything uh, anything uh, uh, that makes you crazy uh, all people can go through that but just on lesser levels um, if you if you like if you're feeling up or down uh, people people that are crazy can just go right through the roof like Molly was manic once and that was that and yes yeah, so Molly does have problems and she was she was she went manic once which was which was just like unreal um, she she was worried she had Molly has abandonment issues which and there's like various disorders have have sort of triggers and that's the way you can tell a di difference between a um, a sort of a disorder and maybe a sort of malfunctioning um, like if there are certain triggers that send people haywire and you can recognize what those triggers are then you then that is normally associated with a certain pattern of behaviors uh, which they which which they can say oh okay this is this is what this sort of person is or this is what this sort of person is but anyway Molly has has huge abandonment issues and a boyfriend was thinking of going overseas for a month and a couple of other things happened oh yeah she took some LSD oh god yeah uh, but it wasn't the regular LSD it was the synthetic LSD from one of her uh, like her best friend's boyfriend was a drug dealer um, anyway and like in normal nowadays, like they, they stamp all the tablets, so you know what they're like. But Molly, I think, ended up on a guinea pig batch. You know? Oh. Anyway, she came back. She was very hyper and bubbly, and then, uh, and you know, like hyper and bubbly, like when you fall in love, you know, honeymoon period. Well, like sort of about two or three levels above that, right? You know, everything's great, wide-eyed, starry. Okay, and then but then about three or four days later she just went way over the top and she'd like walk in she she didn't sleep for five days wow five days five days didn't get a wink of sleep in five days she'd walk in and she'd flick the lights on and off and uh she would she would um get she couldn't tell who you are and she kept on insisting that i take my glasses off like things like this and she was running around the room And she, you know, and we, we had to keep her in the house. And like, so for four days in a row, I took her to the hospital, right? Saying, you know. Every single day for four, four days. And, and every, and like Molly would pull herself together and whatever. And they say, no, take her home and look after her, right? And so the fifth day I took her along, she, she hadn't had a week, week of sleep. The fifth day I t took her along and she hit one of the nurses, right? And so, so the head nurse wasn't happy with this or the, she was actually seeing a psychologist and they said, look, if you bring her in here again, we'll call the police, right? And Molly had had a very hard time up until that stage. And, and they were, we would put in a separate room, right? Uh, with the security guard outside mm -hmm. and whatever. So anyway, I walked out for a little while. I called one of the doctors that were walking past and I explained the situation to him. And um, and thankfully, you know, he listened to what I said, and he arranged for us. They didn't have any psych beds, so they transferred us from the Prince Alexander, or the one that's on the south side of Brisbane, to the 
to the one just near the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten the name. Royal Brisbane, Prince Alexander something or other. And she, she got in there. But when I left her, they had to tie her down. She hadn't had any sleep for five days. They, had, they strapped her down and they just shot her full of sedatives. And, and she finally, that's when she went to sleep. But it, it was, they were just, I don't know how many said it. I can remember once Molly was running, she was with her boyfriend, she was running around and she tripped over and she fractured her skull. She was a bit drunk, but she was just running along the bridge and tripped. Could have really happened to anyone. But when she woke up in the, in the hospital, it took six nurses to hold her down. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah there's Why that. was she? Well, you know, like when you're on meth or, or oh, stuff like that. Oh, she wasn't drugs. No, she wasn't. But mm. it's just, you know, what's just your brain. Meth is just a, a drug that like, releases all those chemicals in your brain. Okay. And yeah, she, she was like, it was like that. You know, if she's in, it's, she, can, she can be really strong. Like I said, you know, that strap, you know, it's, it's scary stuff. So Molly, yeah, Molly definitely has problems. And Mads, like I said, everyone has issues. I can go into them individually. Um, uh, but see, that's the thing. Crazy, crazy is fine. It's when it becomes a problem that it's an issue. Like someone with OCD, right? Every, everyone experiences crazy. Like, okay, you go out and think, oh, right. Did I turn the gas off on the stove? And you go back in and you check it. And then you go and do a couple of other things and you go out and think, oh, I better just check the stove again. And then you go and check and that's fine. But if you do, so if you do, that's not affecting your life. But if you go back and do that seven, eight, nine, ten times, right, you've, got, you've checked it twice and then you go out, the, then you go back and check it again and then you go back and check it again and then you go back and check it again. Then it starts affecting your life and then it becomes a problem. So, like I said, everyone... Everyone does slightly crazy things, and it's, they're for very good reasons. Genetics has a, it, it, the, genetic diversity is important. It's important that people are different. It's important that people are, are a bit crazy, and you know, genetic, genetics goes a bit haywire. But you know, people talk about gemet- genetically modified organisms. You know, people don't like, shouldn't eat genetically modified wheat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, but if someone, someone who's OC. OCD or something like one day there will be someone that they'll go back and check the fourth or fifth time and and the gas would have been on if they hadn't gone the house would have blown up right yeah and in certain if if the world changes in certain certain ways the people that actually go and check on things four five six times are going to be a good thing and they're going um so you need that diversity and you need people to like altruism the genetics of altruism um now, Darwin says survival of the fittest, right? So you think, all right, everyone should, uh, everyone should just be out for themselves and just do what's best for them. But the reality is that groups or, or societies uh, are, are better uh, able to survive than individuals. So, okay, so you have a tribe, so tribes can, so that's the way. But the, the way it actually works is uh, and so people help each other, Altru- and that's why altruism is sort of a genetically positive trait. But the reality is about 95% of people have that, you know, altruistic and genuine, and 5% of people are bastards, basically. <laughs> so you think it's genetics more than just like, you know, education or environment? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's you can and it's be well, born it's, bad. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Okay. It's a, uh, yeah. It's just people, diversity again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, well, say you're in Japan, right? Mm-hmm. And an earthquake, earthquake hits, right? So ninety-five percent of the people there are in there, and they're digging out people who who might be, be sort of trapped in the rubble and whatever. And five percent of the people just care for themselves, head for the hills, right? And then another earthquake hits. And all the people that are helping the other ones, they get caught and die and whatever. But the, your genetic base, you need a certain number of, uh, of genes in the gene pool for it to thrive and be prosperous. And so those five people, 5% of people that are headed up for the hills and just taking care of themselves are actually protecting the genetic base. And so the, the people who, who sort of fall like flies and die looking after each other. So um, there's... Yeah, genetics is a fascinating and wonderful thing. And so pe- people, you know, if, you might think people who are cra- crazy are a bad thing, but it's... How do you define good and bad then, knowing well, that you've been surrounded by crazy nature, a lot of years? Nature, beyond good and evil. Okay, because uh, there's no good and evil like in nature. Like, I mean, you either survive or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, ne- like, uh, nature is... One of my favourite qu- quotes is, when you look into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. And people misunderstand that, but when you deal with demons, right, and when you're fighting demons, and like I felt like you know, things that are happening to me were very unfair, and 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 uh, you know, you, you, a whole lot of hate or vindictiveness wells up with, within you, and like what it means is when you fight demons, you risk becoming a demon yourself. Like if you have to. If you have to do someone who has apparently no morals and will do anything, then you you tend to fall to that level, and so you know that's the big risk, and so you've got to learn to you've got to learn to be what's important. Six kids, eight months to twelve years old. I'm looking after them by myself, and I'm working. Right. Oh my god. And so, like, you go to the shops, and you've got the eight-month-old in the pram. And like it's if you've got a kid that's fifteen, like they can look after the kids that are five and six. If you've got a kid that's twelve, they can't look after a kid that's five or six. You know, they're, so they just go all over. But it's just chaos, and like you just have to learn to live with the chaos, and um, you do your best and say, well, I can do this much, and if I do this much, I'm just going to fall in a heap, and it's going to be no good for anyone. It's like oxygen mask comes down when you look at, you've got to look after yourself before you can look after other people. So you just do as much as you can. And so chaos reigns and so and you, you learn to live within the chaos. Uh, and and you know, like if you try and try and lock down everything, then you get kicked back from the kids because they don't like it and you're gonna make mistakes and you just can't keep an eye on six kids at once. Um, so, so yeah, so at that stage, and I've always been able to sort of live within the chaos and keep it going and, and, and just keep your fingers crossed and, and hope karma looks after you or whatever. Have you seen a psychologist in your life? Yes. Or several? Uh, well, Molly has the record. Molly's, Molly's seen... Molly's seen at least a dozen psychologists, probably four or five psychiatrists, and she's seen she's had two teams where they have a team, like when she was in hospital the first time I told you, 
No, she had a team working on her before that, and then when she went into hospital again, she had another team. Um, but, I mean, towards the end, I can remember once, it's, a lot of it is sort of a bit of voodoo. If you've got to, especially for someone like Molly, they've got to believe in the person, and, and they get jaded very quickly. And, and I, I sort of vibe this, and Jen believes in psychics and whatever, you know, crystals or whatever, but I don't believe in that. But if Molly believes in that and she goes and sees the psychic, as long as they tell her common sense, you know, you know, they said, oh, well, you should be doing this and this. And as long as, long as the person who's seeing them believes in it and the person they're seeing is telling them common sense and sensible things to do, that's great. I mean, it doesn't matter if they've got a piece of paper or if they're saying the stars are telling them this or if they're saying a book's telling them this, as long as what, what they're passing on is good advice and the person can, you know, that, they, they might relate to, as long as they can relate to that. And of course, well, one of the things with people with abandonment issues is that, have you ever heard of magical thinking? No. Right. Are you familiar with the seven stages of grief? Yes. Well, what happens with someone with a, with abandonment issues? Is it not five? five well, five. Well, yeah, it's five. I'll, I'll go through. I just, like I just pull them out. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll, t- well, I'll go through them and I'll tell you how. Yes. Hi guys, uh, this is the first and only break. Um, I'm sorry about that. Uh, no, not really. Uh, it's uh, quite an interesting chat, so I didn't want to break it too many times. But what I do want to bring to the table is a piece of a podcast that I listened to three days ago. It um, belongs to the Happy Place show by Fern Cotton. And the guest talks about how to keep a healthy mindset like you know using meditation how to be comfortable with yourself how to have a good relationship with yourself how to go through lockdown and deal with this unique um lifestyle if you like without like you know things that make us feel comfortable and without losing our sanity so um i could it's not that I could resonate with it, but I found it very, very insightful and helpful. And hopefully you will too. And after that, we'll go straight to, to the conversation and second part and the end of it. So I hope you enjoy. Incredible. And something just really jumped out at me when you were talking there. And that is the word retreat. Because we've all, you know, we've all heard the word retreat talked about. In, in lots of different ways, in the sense that, that you're using it in a kind of, I'm going on a spa retreat. Yeah. But actually, when we think about the real meaning of the word, like to retreat from life, sometimes that could be seen as a negative, like you're retreating from it, you're not dealing with it. But there's so much to be gained from physically retreating from all of this noise and, and craziness. You know, you, you've, you've made that active choice to, so you can go inwards and to look at the stuff that that you want to to heal or have acceptance around what can we on an everyday level learn from 
retreat you know is there a time when retreating is negative and we're not dealing with stuff or is it always a, a, a positive thing to do well it depends what you're doing with your mind at the time and when i went into retreat maybe some people thought or said in fact oh you're, you're running away from life but the whole point is i was going deeper i was going into an enclosed space to look at my mind and heal stuff because the whole point of retreat is to then come out of retreat at the end with a new perspective and re-engage with the world and i mean now i'm very much in the world i'm very busy i'm just as busy and stressed as everybody else but i've got tools which help me navigate that stuff because of retreat and i think lockdown can be retreat I mean, people yeah. pay loads of money to go on retreats. We've got a government-enforced retreat now, so let's <laughs> use it. You know, because it, as you said, it's a time of healing. It's a time of, of introspection. And yes, of course, we're all desperate to get, get out of lockdown and get on with our lives. But I'm sure when we look back, there's going to be a feeling of, wow, we went through that. That year was horrible, but also amazing. And we learned so much and we got closer to our families and... We got closer to ourselves and something came out of it. Some kind of, I don't know, some kind of spiritual development can come out of being alone with yourself. Yeah, I so, totally so retreat can be anything. I mean, I, you know, I've done long retreats. I've also done short retreats, even a day, a weekend. Why not take some time out, even half a day, a day where you just shut the phone off and you just meditate all day. Not like con constantly, but sessions all day. It means that you're giving yourself an environment through which you can go really deep. And then when you come out of that, you've learned something. We're scared to, aren't we? We're scared to um, step off the, the roundabout, oh, the Ferris terrifying, wheel. terrifying. I mean, when I went into that four-year retreat, I was terrified because I all, all it's a bit like lockdown. All the things that you use for your survival and happiness and joy are all taken away from you and you're just going to be with yourself. And I didn't like myself. The thought of locking myself in a room with me was horrific because I didn't like myself. Why would I want to spend time with somebody I didn't like? And so the only way forward was to learn to like myself. And that's what that experience of going through the depression and leaning into it really taught me, is that you can make friends with yourself and be at peace with your own company. And I think if you do that, it can help your relationships with others as well, because somebody who doesn't like themselves can't really like anybody else or, or they pretend to like other people hoping they'll like them back mm, you know what i mean yeah but if if you learn to, to to enjoy your own company you can really be there for others that compassion can spread and become something that can heal the society around us That was the bit that I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, what did you think of it? If you want to listen the whole, to the whole episode, you can find it under uh, Happy Place Show. It's by Fern Cotton. And now let's go back to the chat. Okay. So uh, with abandonment issues, uh, they, they, can, they never come to the they never come to the sort of resolved, the, la the last one, acceptance, right? Acceptance is the last one. But because they, they can never reach sort of that acceptance. And so what they do is they bounce around between the other four, anger, grief, depression, denial. Negotiation. What's yeah, another one that you yeah. well, like, the Okay, let's just talk about this. Okay, yeah. so, we'll negotiate. so yeah. the negotiation and the denial, yeah. right? What happens is they pushes them in towards magical thinking. They mm -hmm. believe 
in sort of magical... Like, if you're in denial and you say, oh, well, God will come down and resurrect them again, right? Or that's magical thinking. And so what they do to resolve... They never get to that acceptance. They, they, they come up with the magical thinking and white stars, this or whatever. So one of, the, one of the things you can see in one of the telltales about some people is if they're heavily into magical thinking and stuff like that, that can say that they have issues with denial and, and, and that they can't really accept things the way they are. It must be really hard because for them accepting such a reality is more painful than living in the loop of these four stages of grief. Yeah. which is painful in itself. Yeah, well, I mean, it's counterproductive. Like, you, it, you need to reach acceptance. If you don't reach acceptance... Yeah, you're screwed, mm. I guess. Yeah. Do you think that can become a chronic pathology or, like, you know, mental illness eventually if you don't, you know, get to the acceptance oh, stage? Oh, definitely. Well, like I said, it's... For it's, whatever it's, in life. It's, yeah, yeah. You, you, it's part of just growing up. And like I said, a lot of those people... A lot of those people that, that do have disorders and, and they normally have some trauma involved when they're very young, you'll, that everyone says it stunts their emotional growth. And um, people with certain orders have the emotional age of a, you know, five to six-year-olds, mm. you know, seven or eight, but they, they never... Uh, they, they can never develop, develop or, or mature properly. It's always... They've always... Uh, sort of cut off or stunted, yeah, mm. and and so it's very hard for them to to grow. So to wrap up, what would you, what would be your advice for people or parents who have to deal with kids with mental health issues? Well, first of all, you I think the most important thing is realize realizing that they can't get better that's always the most difficult thing for a parent to, to come to terms with realizing that that their child that's the way their child is whether whether they might have a physical deformity or have mental issues uh, the parents will go into denial they'll say especially it's, it's a lot easier to accept a physical problem than it is a mental one and especially if it's not an obvious mental one where someone looks perfectly normal and um, and and maybe particularly fathers have that problem. I don't know. I might be being sexist here, but they they say, "Oh, she's fine. There's nothing wrong with her. She, she's just going. She or he's just going through a phase, or this or that." When uh, there's there's some real deep seated issues, and the the other thing is that the way that you deal with the issues, like. Okay, first of all, you accept, okay, my child is like this, okay, mm -hmm. and how can I help them, right? Mm -hmm. Because everyone, they want, want to help them get better. But what, what you can, with, with certain, depending on the, the sort, of, sort, sort of mental affliction that's affecting them, I'll talk to you about this, things like bipolar and clinical depression. Uh, normally just chemical imbalances in a brain and you can certain drugs can help balance your brain and bring the person back to normal uh, serotonin inhibitors work very well for de depression and bipolar 
it's a bit trickier because they've got to deal with the both ups and downs. Um, and maybe things like ADHD might be a chemical imbalance. I'm not sure. What's where, ADHD? Where they give people Ritalin speed, attention deficit disorder, where people, you know, are very hyper. Okay. I'm not I'm not sure about that one, but there there's some some that you can say, all right, there's a medicine we can use to fix it, right? But those are very very tricky and very hard to get at the right levels and this and that and and sometimes it's always changing and this and that but there is a like you know a medicine you can give someone that will help them and then there's there's other people where their brain is just where they they are affected by triggers right certain things are very threatening to them and will throw them into complete chaos and obviously what you want to do is avoid those triggers completely but life gets in the way often you know um, like if you've got a boyfriend and you've got an abandonment issues like you know the, the, honestly the best thing for someone with abandonment issues is not to, ha- to have a boyfriend no because you'll, you'll be anxious exactly and you, but do you think like people with abandonment issues can get better or can just like no, trust someone well, the, the, eventually the, the, the guru for abandonment issues was uh now stretching the memory banks but she she was someone with a BPD borderline personality disorder is normally what they call abandonment issues and she 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 was thrown in when she was about 13 or 14 they put her in a straitjacket and threw her into to one of those back then it was a um, church like hospital etc etc and anyway she was in there and she'd been in there for three or four years and then she had an epiphany. You know what an epiphany is? Yes. Right. And that's magic magical thinking, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. she then she then became uh, a world famous psychologist. She went and studied and uh, she became an expert in the era of BPD. And it was only about five or ten years ago that she came out and said that I actually have BPD. But she wrote a whole lot of books about BPD and dealing with BPD. And um, and she she's current. She still has panic attacks. Like she she says, says I'm fine. I'm happier than other people. But you read between the lines. She's saying, Oh yeah, I was driving to work and I had a panic attack the other day. She she doesn't have a partner. Um, she's got lots of cats. Oh, oh <laughs> crazy old lady with well, lots of cats. Well, um, that's a cliche but, though. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, cats reliable people with certain issues that 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 they find things threatening cats or uh, they know how to deal with them and and they, they don't find them a threat and that they need the physical comfort and stuff like that um, well, why cats and not dogs they like dogs too some people are cat people some people are dog people because cats molly, are like people like molly humans. used to be molly used to be a cat person but she converted to a dog person but you you have those um what do they call them now where you bring animal companions or whatever yeah yeah and one of the one of the therapies for for molly the team of psychologists suggested for molly was equine therapy if you've heard, no. heard of that where they you look after a horse but molly already had a horse so um, but yeah, looking at uh, or caring after an animal, and there was an, there's another famous lady who was autistic, uh, and she became in America. She became the head of the 
cruelty for animals mm-hmm. and she was all into people some people see her a bit as a turncoat because she was trying to organize um, humane killing of animals etc etc but she was autistic and had a very strong relationship with animals and she invented the animal press and she actually used an animal press and put it herself in it to sort of hug her and it calmed her down uh, and again like I said that's see people that are people that are, have these psychological disorders they they are movers a lot of them are movers and shakers I mean a lot of people say Donald Trump's a narcissist and I mean Maybe but a sociopath as well. Yeah, um, I don't know. but but he he certainly shakes things up. Hitler, but I mean, a lot of good people say Princess Diana might have had BPD, and she's done wonderful things with, um, with landmines and this and that. Um, Even yeah, they said like some like U.S. presidents were like actual psychopaths, and that's what they allow them to you know rule become. the well, U.S. Yeah. yeah, because you put your emotions aside and then you focus on. Depends yeah. on the, your goals. You're it, not killing it, anyone. You're uh, well. If you're a sociopath, you, then you you get to the top no matter what. And you, yeah. You, and like I said, they 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 get things done, and it, it's just part of a part of the way society works. And you can rail against it and shake your fist against the sky, but um, you know a lot of people are shaking shaking their fists against Donald Trump. But see, I mean, Donald Trump. I have no. Uh, he's a ho- horrible person. <laughs> I mean. Um, yeah, but on a human level, he he's not nice. Yeah, yeah, um, to say the least. <laughs> but I mean, he's he, he gets things done. That's true. But but the thing is, the, there's always the backlash. Like now, the Democrat, he's almost probably destroyed the Republican Party, and America's in a play. And Black Lives Matter is probably a lot stronger movement because of Donald Trump. Because because Donald Trump was held up as the antichrist people will rally and pull together to to make the he he might be the power for bad but you get the power for good so it's kind of like a catalyst for yeah. something bigger and better well, you never you never know what you never know what's going to happen like you know I, I, donald trump could have pushed the button easily but like True. he's he's out of power and like really bad things could happen but good things will come from from what donald trump's done that you know and and it'll be because he was doing bad things people will will come and and do good things and uh, you just got to keep your fingers crossed that we we as a as a human race will start move towards the good that we can destroy ourselves now i'm getting morose like we've never been able to destroy the whole human race before but now we can so Do you think we deserve to be alive as a species, taking what we've done with our planet and how we behave and how not reliable we are and unstable? Do you think? Are we better than animals? Well, there's a big judgment call. Like, um, where, like I said, we're the ones that are, are going to destroy the planet. Have you have you familiar with SETI? It's a search for extraterrestrial intelligence. I used to have it as like you know the background of my computer to help uh-huh. them search connect the sky. with. Yeah. And so, do you know one of the main theory or one of the main theories why they've never found any extraterrestrial intelligence? No. That any society that reaches our level of sophistication destroys themselves. They either suck up all the things on the planet, or they blow themselves up, 
and so any star any any race that can put out um, electromagnetic signals is bound to destroy themselves over time and Stephen Hawking's before about three or four years before Stephen Hawking died he said they said how long do you think the human race is going to survive he says oh, I, we're pretty resilient but you know things are, things aren't great a thousand years and but just before he died and it might be because he was getting depressed he said a hundred years and of course Donald Trump but I mean like I said we do we do have the like Aboriginal society, that stable, they could have gone on for 50,000 years. They could go on forever. Um, now, in 30 years' time, 40 years' time, anyone will be able to make a nuclear bomb. Like, you, all the basic problem is a centrifuge now, but you can get the instructions off the internet. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and technology is advancing all the time. And so, you know, when any terrorist can get their hands on a nuclear bomb, uh, you know, at the moment it's North Korea or whatever, but, you know, I don't know if it's 30 years down the track, 40 years down the track, or 100 years down the track, but soon, like, unless... And that, that's why you've got to have an inclusive society. If once, once society starts to fracture, um, the, then the people at the bottom are going to, to, to rise up and, and you know, they're, they're talking about universal wages and, and how, how, and you'll see a lot of people are saying, you know, you, you've got to bring everyone up because if the people behind, if you leave, leave people behind, then that's just a recipe for disaster. Um, and, and people get left behind all the time. Uh, so do I think we're better than animal, animals. Do you think we can save ourselves? Because it sounds like we are the illness and the cure. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's, uh, I, 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 it's one of, those, one of those mysteries. Hopefully, like, we're, the human race is, is unendingly uh, coming up with the ideas and stuff like that. And, but, you know, it's like junk bonds or the crisis, you, or I'm a gambler or whatever. If you keep on betting 100 to 1 shots, right, you know, like, you can make a lot of money until then that, that 1 in 100 chance comes up and then all hell breaks loose. So are we, are we you know, taking, like, in the junk bond crisis, they were betting, well, it's... It's, or a thousand to one this is going to happen and so but we'll we'll bet we'll take bets at 200 to one does that make sense like you know yeah so they they take all these bets at 200 to one and they keep on winning and winning and winning and they're putting huge bets on at 200 to one and they make mountains of money and then the thousand one shot finally lobs and then they lose five times as much as they ever made and like the world falls apart but the freaking bankers who who made all the money they they didn't have any of the losses yeah like you know and and yeah so you wonder if we're doing the same thing in, with the world you know we're 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 taking we're taking a huge pun on climate change like sure there's a good chance we can uh we'll find the technology to work it out and like we're unendingly in 
ingenious. You know, we come up with all ideas and this and that, and we'll probably fire ice crystals up into the into the atmosphere and reflect reflect the sunlight, and we'll come up with some way to to get our way through. But one day we're not going to be able to come up with the answers, or one day the climate change might just tilt to you know where you have a, like a tipping point. Mm-hmm. And they talk about and you know like you know. One month it'll be fine, and then the next month the temperatures will go up two or three degrees in a month, and and just the world will go crazy, and we won't be able to cope. And and we're doing that with with climate change at the moment. We're we're taking the hundred to one punt that we can that a there there won't be some catastrophic tipping point where that will really make things bad, and b that we'll come up with a solution in the long term because um, you know carbon's going to keep on going up till two thousand and fifty at the very least. Yes. And who knows what's going to happen b- between then. And then after 2050, we might gradually able to bring it down. But um, you've got all these hundreds of millions of people in India and, and stuff, and uh, there's a lot of poor people in China and Africa. And they're, they're saying, well, why, why, why uh, has the West been able to, to, you know, use all this power and cheap energy and stuff? And, you know... All we want is a TV, a microwave, some electric light, and an air conditioner. If you gave everyone in the world an air conditioner... Oh, the contamination, yeah. So, I mean, that's not unreasonable. Yeah. Would you change something in your life if you had to go back? Did you live the life that you wanted to live so far? Would you go through the same thing? No. No? Where no. would you say change? Well, I, I I decide something else. Yeah, I just I'm not very good with choosing partners. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> um, now, what was I was gonna say? Something like, is it? Uh, yeah, people. Knowledge is an interesting thing. People people will say what niche again. People niche says what doesn't kill you kills you makes you stronger or whatever. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the and I've talked to you a little bit, little bit about this stuff. There's a whole lot of the stuff, stuff I wish I'd never known. I would be a lot happier person. I'd be a lot more comfortable. Like, ignorance is bliss. Knowledge is power. Your choice. Ignorance is bliss is like, it would be my choice, you know. Some people, some people have it that they just can't stand not knowing and they'd, they'd go for the knowledge. But... Uh, you know, there's, I'd be a lot happier if I didn't know a whole lot of stuff ever went on. Do you think you're going to have another life? That you're going to reincarnate and come back in a different form? Whether or this it, is it? Uh, I'm, I'm happy to wait and find out. Okay, well, we're just asking you about your beliefs because it's quite an interesting topic. Like, uh, I think Jaja believes you know in, in spirituality reincarnation and you know that we have a lesson or like a journey to go through in each life blah 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 uh well okay metaphysically you leave you leave something behind mm-hmm. and like on the, the people around you the people that have talked to you the people that live with you and that lives on right how long it lives on or, or how but it does it does live on so whether it lives on in another worldly form or but there is some sort of mass humanity or or intellect or part and everyone's part of that and though you may disappear 
part of you all along. Like it can be either through your children or through what you've done and a legacy. People talk about legacies all the time. And so if, if there's, so yeah, people do live on, uh, whether, you want to, whether you want to believe how they live on, but they do. And what's our purpose? What's the purpose of your life? Ah, the meaning of life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another interesting question. Uh, whether we're just some randomly... Some, they, some scientists who like playing around with this stuff have, have, um, have done sort of some mathematical equations and say, well, you know, the universe is such a strange place, there must be a god or something or other. And some people who look at the stars, they can say, well, there's all these, these strange formations and, 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 and things in the stars that make the universe itself possibly uh, an entity of some description, far beyond whatever kin we'd have, but, or kin we'd have. But, uh, you know, that there's uh, like places where you, you see uh, a, a concentration of certain sort of stars or be neutron or whatever that is like millions and billions of to one against them occurring in anything we can see but it, the universe has some structure beyond random what would just be you think would be random and like people who do physics they have no idea what's going on they have I mean <laughs> my, well my daughter's doing a, a PhD in semi-classical gravity oh right? wow and um, and and all they do all all physicists do is they come up with models right mm -hmm. the, they don't really know what's going on <laughs> they, they, they have models that work they say oh well isn't that great this explains this explains this this and this and it, yeah it just works wonderfully for this but it doesn't explain that, that, or that. <laughs> and they, they just have no idea what's going on. They talk about dark matter and they talk about uh, uh, unified theories and stuff like that. But, and see, the, the thing is that what humans do and what scientists do is they simplify things so they can understand it. And uh, probably some things are beyond human understanding and whether that be God or how the universe works or this or that but and maybe there's some things we weren't supposed to understand but we can make good models and say well that's going to happen because of this most of the time <laughs> do you think that's how we started like creating and fabricating drugs to get to a part of the brain that we're not supposed to get to access to access Drugs are just a way to to have a good time. I mean, there's two ways drugs, two, there's two main uses for drugs. One is just having a good time, party, party, yay, mm -hmm. which is fine. And the other way is to anaesthetise yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, people, party is fine, okay, yeah, that's all good, that's over there. But there's a group of people, addicts, right? And we talk. Uh, I know a little bit about addiction. Um, now, an interesting study was commissioned by Nixon in mm -hmm. 1974, I think, Linda Howe or something. But in the Vietnam War, 
50% of the US soldiers had tried heroin and 20% of the US soldiers were addicted to heroin uh, in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Nixon thought, well, God, what happens when all these soldiers come back to America? Mm -hmm. We're going to have a huge wave of addiction, right? And so, and so they, they, they made sure everyone was clean before they came back. But what they discovered was that once, and they expected all, of course, you know, addicts are addicts for life, you know. It's, it's, it's part of them and it's something they have to battle on a daily basis, based, basically. Which, um, it's not something, it's something that, that's always sort of in the back of your mind and, and given the right triggers, that you're going to fall back into it. Um, so they, th but so they thought. But once, once the soldiers had come back from uh, Vietnam to America, the addiction rates fell down to their baseline rates, which surprised everyone. Now there's a whole lot of theories and this and that, but I mean, the simplest explanation is probably the the, the truth. Like, if you're going through absolute Shitstorm. I normally don't swear a lot, but you know, if things are really fucking awful in your life, mm -hmm. then you're going to take drugs to to sort of chemically uh, lobotomize yourself, or or j just to cut yourself off from that pain. And like the soldiers in Vietnam, where there was they were seeing their friends die, people were shooting at them. Uh, no one knew what was going on. They had no reason. That, that they didn't know why they were there. Another quote from Nietzsche: "When when there's uh, a why, you can uh, when when there's a why, you can go through almost anything, like anyhow. As if you if you know what you're doing and why you're doing it, you, know, you can put up through all sorts of absolute hell and bull, bullshit. Like in World War Two, you know, they were they were fighting about it. In Vietnam, they didn't had no freaking idea what they were doing over there. They're in some small South American country dying." in jungles and their friends were dying and the people in charge didn't know what they were doing and it was just a freaking nightmare yeah. and so so yeah they just to, to cut cut off the pain but some people are always in that much pain like jen right you know and molly they're just that's uh, a normal state well they they try and they 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 get around it by denial and, mm -hmm. and, and this and that, and they can sort of bounce around, but at the core, they've, they've got, a, they've got a, a deep hole that they, they can't fill, mm -hmm. and drugs are a way to fill that. And those are the people that are addicts, those people that are, are suffering. And it's, so why did people invent drugs? A, to have a good time, and B, to stop feeling. Life is really a wonderful thing. And it's full of mysteries and wonder. People that believe in God say there's a reason for everything or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's a reason for everything, but you know, like Donald Trump, bad good things, good things happen from bad things, and bad things happen from good things. You you never know what what life's gonna to 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 bring you. So. Um, one of one of my favourite sayings, Winston Churchill. Um, is, he said, "When if you're going through hell, the important thing is to keep on going. So, like, if you're having a hard time out there, um, just keep on going, and it probably can't get worse. And fingers crossed, eh? Oh, that's a really nice way to finish the the podcast. Mm -hmm.
Guys, thanks for listening. Uh, this is the end of the podcast. This podcast has been produced by me, Perla, recorded by me, Perla, and my entire team of professionals behind the scenes, which are me, Perla. <laughs> so click like, like, subscribe, share, comment, uh, send me suggestions on, on Instagram, Perla Meets the World. Uh, let me know if you have any questions, if you have any suggestions for future podcasts. And please do share your love. Um, it does help me to keep doing this, like, you know, in between my four jobs. And yeah, if, it, if it's helping you, if it's entertaining you, if you find it funny or, I don't know, insightful, helpful, please do let me know and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.